And the rest of you turn in your Bible in the Old Testament to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Someone said every preacher's favorite verse. Now, I'll tell you what. If you have any kind of financial pressures, you're going to want to hear what I have to say today. All right, Rob. If you don't have any kind of financial problems and you don't want to have any, you want to hear what I have to say today. If you're not in trouble, then thank God for that. Uh, but what we want to give you today is, is something from the Word of God that, fr quite frankly, um, my wife and I have practiced ever since being married, and God has blessed us in amazing, in amazing ways. J.C. Penney said, I founded my business on the golden rule, and I prospered. He said, I gave to hospitals, colleges, churches, and other worthy causes. But that didn't satisfy me. Not until I gave my heart to God and was saved did I enter into the real joy of living. You know, that greatest generation, there were a lot of people who became very wealthy who became so because they became born again, they became Christians, and they started practicing Christian principles. He said, I had a new conception of the stewardship of money. I realized I was in debt to God and owed him the tithe through his church. After paying my debt in the tithe, I was then ready to make an offering and could at last say I was really living. Only when a man has come to know God can he know the meaning and the measure and the happiness of Christian living. Uh, J.C. Penney started out tithing, giving 10%. He wound up living on 10% and giving 90% toward the end of his life uh, to the cause of Christ. And God prospered him greatly and, and multiplied, of course, the J.C. Penney uh, chain. His name was actually, uh, did, did you have that up there a minute ago? James Cash Penny, can you believe that? What kind of a parent did he have? You know, I mean, really, James Cash Penny. But the Bible is really clear concerning Christian giving. And for those of you who are visiting uh, and maybe haven't been in church in a long time, you said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. If I would come to church, a preacher's going to preach on money. I just knew it would happen. I didn't want to disappoint you, so therefore, I'm going to do it. Uh, of the 38 parables uttered by Jesus, 16 of them deal with money or possessions. One out of every six verses in the four Gospels deals with money or possessions. Verses on giving run four to one over prayer in the New Testament. Jesus had more to say about the right use of money and possessions than any other subject. There are over 1,565 references to giving in the Bible. In Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to read this to you beginning in verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? Can you imagine? How in the world can you rob God? You say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And look at the result of that. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And then he gives a command, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and test me or prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, I know that's the text I've given up here, but look at verse 11 also. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, in our lives, uh, Pat and I both came from very humble, uh, quite poor, really, background. Her dad was uh, in the Army, and this was back in, the, in a time when, I mean, living wages were not very <laughs> livable. Uh, some of you can identify with that. Uh, I came from a, a family where my dad was in construction in Illinois, and construction in the wintertime in Illinois ceased because you couldn't 
You couldn't build. You couldn't dig foundations in frozen dirt and so on. And so he would go maybe sometimes several months without working, or maybe he'd get a part-time job somewhere. And so uh, we came to know the Lord as our personal Savior first. By the way, if you're not a Christian, you don't, you don't owe him a dime, okay? You don't owe him a dime. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants you. And when he's got you, then he's got everything. So uh, he says here, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. You know what? Uh, in, in our 47 and a half years uh, of marriage, God has we, we rebuked devourers, things that normally consume your, uh, your wealth. I mean, I mean, things like cars. We've had cars that just keep on running and running and running and running and running without putting anything but gas in them and maybe oil uh, every once in a while. Uh, but he says, he'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall your vine cast its fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And look at verse 12. All nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome lamb, land, saith the Lord of hosts. And, and Israel was known as a people who were blessed in the ability to make money. And it was because they taught the importance of tithing. And so these, with these facts as background, let me just give you a little Bible lesson on the idea of giving and tithing according to the Word of God. First of all, the origin of the, the, the tithe. Because some people believe, well, the tithe was under the Old Testament law, so it doesn't apply to us today. But this is not true. In the history of the tithe, tithing was instituted before the law was ever given. Abraham uh, tithed. Uh, and and he was uh, and tithing was practiced by other people besides just the Jews, by the way, by the uh, Egyptians, by the Babylonians, by the Greeks, by the Romans, and the dawn of recorded history, and and uh, uh, a lot of evidence to that. But Abraham brought tithes to Melchizedek 500 years before the law was given on Mount Sinai. That's found in Genesis chapter 14. Jacob vowed to be faithful if God would take care of him in bringing the tithes to the Lord, Genesis chapter 28. God then included the idea of tithing, the giving of the 10% in Leviticus chapter 27, 30 through 32, and that became part of the Mosaic law. Jesus commended the practice of tithing. It didn't end uh, with the uh, ceasing of the law. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And in Matthew 23, 23, he says these are things that you ought to have done, including the tithe, and you ought not to omit those, but you've omitted some of the weightier parts of the law. And in, in fact, in the, in the history of Christianity from Irenaeus, the bishop of Lyons in 177 AD, he wrote that Jesus didn't abolish the tithe but strengthened it. Origen, one of the church fathers, wrote that. Four different church councils listed up here that if I read them all, you won't remember them when you leave anyway, so I'll just let you look at them, uh, declared that the tithe was important for Christians today. And in the Council of Seville in 1590, decreed if anyone does not tithe, he's a robber and a thief. And I didn't say that, but God says that in Malachi. The meaning of the word, the, the origin of the word, is the 10% belongs to God. The meaning of the tithe is, is much misunderstood, uh, but the Bible is very clear. A tithe is not just anything we give to God. A tithe is a percentage of all that God gives to us. A tithe is 10% of what God blesses us with. So in Leviticus 27:32, concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, these were, uh, they had flocks, they had agriculture as their primary businesses, so every tenth lamb belonged to God. Every tenth uh, of the cattle belonged to God. Uh, the tenth of the, of the increase in the harvest belonged to God. 
And it says, concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. And the tithe, as we mentioned to the kids, is not just any tenth. It is not the leftover tenth. It is the first tenth. Proverbs 3.9 says, the first fruits of all your increase. Now, a lot of people say in ministry, and by the way, I've taught this at, and some of you know Midway, I taught this every year in January uh, for probably 40 years. And you know what? God blessed people there in amazing ways because they, they just believed the Word of God, practiced the Word of God, and put the principles of God to work. Uh, many say they'd like to tithe, but they can't afford to do so. Uh, and, and I'm saying to you, if you're that close to going under, you may as well be faithful to God and let God prove to you that he can keep you from going under. I mean, I, I believe in it that much. Uh, they say, well, if we, if we tithe, we won't be able to pay our bills. There'll be nothing left. Uh, but if you pay the tithe, first of all, it's amazing what God will do with the 90% that's left over. And in my opinion, You'll do more with 90% than you will with the 10% because he's rebuking the devourer of our funds. There's a way to face the future. There's a way to leave the past. There's a way to form a habit. There's a way to make it last. There's a million ways of starting and a million ways to stop. But the way to do your tithing is to take it from the top. The first 10% belongs to God. I mean, I don't know how you can make it any clearer. We are robbing God if we don't give him the first 10%. Now, okay, as a sophomore, she much more spiritual than me. She was six years old. Okay, we've got that figured out. No, anybody who knows us knows she's much more spiritual than I am, okay? So, so she got it figured out. But uh, I was in high school. First time I learned about tithing. And I had a big old preacher from Alabama up there in the pulpit preaching about tithing, giving 10%. And I was thinking, yeah, right, buddy. Sounds like a good plan. You know, uh, what, what do you, and, and God convicted me about it. Yeah, the preacher didn't convict me about it, and I can't convict you about it. If I could convict you of stuff, oh, I would have a ball. I would just think up, stay up late at night thinking of ways, things to convict you about. It's got to be God that convicts you. But it's the Word of God I read just a few minutes ago. And we're, we've got a lot of scriptures in, in the message today that you'll hear from. Uh, but the point of the matter is God convicted me. And so I took my pay stub. I remember doing this. I was only making a dollar an hour. And this was real U.S. currency. It's not Confederate money, okay? This is real. Yeah, this wasn't that long ago, okay? So I got my pay stub out, and, and I would calculate it out. I would divide it out to the third decimal point and round it up if it was five or more and down if it was four or more. But I did it on the net. I did it on the take-home. I thought I was killing a big one. I had tithed on my dollar-an-hour paycheck and wow, I'm, you know, I'm, the blessings of God. And then you know what? I got under conviction about, uh, about tithing on the gross. Because the first 10% is before you pay rent. It's before you buy insurance. It's before you put gas in the car. It's before you pay Uncle Sam and all his uh, dependents. It, it, it is, it's before all of that. And I got, so then I got my page stub out. And I would go to the gross column, and, and uh, I, I would divide it out, and I'd say, that is gross. Uh, you, you know, I'm going to have to give a whole lot more now. And, uh, and you know what? I gave it, but I still figured it out to the third decimal point. And then I got convicted about, and you're going to hear about if we, use a, if we give to God liberally, he gives to us liberally. If we give sparingly, he gives back to us sparingly. And so I started saying, well, whatever. So I, I didn't carry it out to the third decimal point. And you know what? God, it, it just took me through 
uh, that training and that evolution and that learning that 10% belongs to God. And, and, and ever since high school, I, I mean, when I started in high school, I never had a whole lot back then. But you know what? God blessed and God took care of our needs. Went to college. We went to the Bible college, met there in Bible college. We graduated with a savings account. And not one, well, no, I did have a little bit of, um, I think I had like a $1,000 student loan debt. How's that sound? Anybody want to take that over what you've got? I think a thousand bucks is what I had, and I paid it off for some. But we had a savings account. Graduated from Bible college with with a savings account. So I'm just saying, God has proved Himself to us in so many ways, and and we know we can't outgive God. And when we got married, we gave we began giving to missions over the tithe immediately. We committed to that, and we have never looked back. We have always tried to give. Uh, much more than 10%. Why? Because the tithe belongs to God. Because the tithe is holy unto the Lord. Because the tithe is a recognition of every blessing that we have comes from Him. Uh, the life that we have, the air that we breathe, uh, the food that we eat, the home or, or apartment in which we live, the, the vehicles that we're privileged to drive or ride in buses or whatever it is. We are so much more blessed than most of the people in this world. I heard that the Iraqi army took back part of Mosul. You know what? We didn't have to walk out into a war zone this morning to come to church. I look at Syria and what's happened there, and I think, you know, our, our buildings are not rubbles. Our downtown is not just a pile of rocks and metal and, uh, and, and all of that. We are so blessed. And our medical care is not perfect, and yeah, there's gouging and all of that, but we have doctors, and we have hospitals, and we have things that God will, has provided for us. He's given to us. Why? Because we're so great? No. It's the grace of God. We're not any more deserving than those people over in the middle, of the, in the middle East right now who are going through all kinds of horrendous things. We're not any better than the people in the continent of Africa and some of the innermost areas where there's tribal warfare going on. We're not the least bit better than those people in New Guinea uh, who, who may be still uh, practicing uh, some of us with, with witch doctors and all that. We're not any better. We just, by the grace of God, have the blessings that we have, and we owe to God the tithe that is his. Point number three, the basis for the tithe. The Bible very clearly defines the basis for giving that 10% back to God. There are many principles upon which it's based. First of all, God is the creator of all. God is the creator of everything, everything we have, everything we see. He is the creator of it all, Genesis 1.1. God is the owner of it all. In Psalm 24.1, he owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. He owns the wealth in every mine. He doesn't need our tithe. We need his blessings. We need to uh, partner with God. God is the sustainer of all. In Colossians chapter 1, very clearly teaches that he's the one by whom all things consist. So not only did he create us, not only does he own us, but he allows us to continue. He is the one who sustains us. And furthermore, for many of us in this room, if not all, or at least most in this room, he has redeemed us. In 1 Peter 1, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. You're not buying your way to heaven when you tithe. You're not redeemed from uh, vain conversation by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, without bruise, without deformity, the, the, the offerings of God. Uh, why did I talk about with the kids a worm and an apple and a bruise in the apple? Because 
they were not to bring those kind of animals as sacrifices. They were not to bring a blind sheep as a sacrifice. They were to pick out the best because you give the best to the God who gave everything for you. In our reasoning, we might say, well, this, this lamb is lame. It's never going to, never going to amount to much. It's, it's, we don't want it breeding. And so, you know, we'll give that one. No, you give the best to God who gave the best for you. And he has redeemed us with his son, the blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot, without one single sin. Christ lived for 33 years and never, ever did one sinful thing, never spoke one sinful word. And then he went to the cross to die for us. Why should we tithe? Because God gives us power to get wealth. Did you know that? He gives us the ability to get wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. He's the one who gives us the ability. He's the one who supplies the job. You say, well, preacher, that's not so. I went out and I beat the concrete and I, I put my resumes out and I got that job and I earned that job and I've kept that job. And, and all you have to have is a virus that you can't even see that will knock you flat on your back and you'll lose that job if you're very sick for very long in many cases. It's God who gives you the ability and the opportunity to make a living. And you know what? This works. This doesn't just work for adults. It works for teenagers. It worked for a six-year-old. It worked for a 16-year-old. It'll work when we put, because it's the word of God. God made us stewards. Another reason we all tithe. We're managers of all that we possess. In 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it says, moreover, it's required in stewards or managers that a person be found faithful. And God will hold us in account, accountable for our stewardship, our management of all that he puts within our power. Our kids, our assets, our blessings, our opportunities, he will hold us accountable for what we do with what we're given. In Luke 16, 2, he says we will give an account. Now, the command to tithe is clear. In Malachi chapter 3, uh, we rob God when we fail to tithe. We're chastened when we're not faithful to tithe. We're to bring all the tithe into the storehouse, into God's storehouse. We are to prove him, which means to test, to investigate, to try him. I mean, here's something. You can prove God. People say, well, you know, you just have to do things by faith. Well, when, when you by faith tithe, you will prove God because God will get you through those tough times. God will provide your needs. You'll receive a great blessing from tithing. What about the Christian tithe? Jesus instructed Christians to tithe in Matthew 23, 23, he did so in two ways. First, he did so by his teaching directly. And then secondly, he did so by his example. Jesus was a Jew of the Jew, a Jew of Jews. He was, all pious Jews were faithful tithers. He obeyed every command of God. He, the synagogue where he went to school and worship, uh, were faithful in teaching and practicing tithing. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. If he had not tithed, then uh, he would not have commanded others to do so. And, and uh, if he hadn't, his enemies would have pounced upon that because they were always looking for a way to undermine Jesus Christ. The blessings of the tithe are innumerable, but there are five mentioned in five different passages from those who are faithful, about those who are faithful in giving. In Malachi chapter 3, will the man rob God? We just talked about that. He says, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you will not have room enough to receive it. I will bless you more than, with more than you can hang on to. 
In Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Barns were for, in many cases, holding um, grain supplies uh, back in the Midwest. And I'm not a farmer. My, my grandparents were farmers my, on my dad's side. But they would have uh, corn cribs. They would have places for putting hay. They would have... Um, uh, Tobacco barns back in the, uh, you know, in Kentucky. Uh, but they would have these places, and they would fill them up. When they had a bumper crop, they would put all of that in and store it up and, until they could sell it or until they used it. Uh, and so he says, if you will tithe of all of your substance, if you'll honor God with all of your substance, so you, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your presses, the wine presses, will burst out with new wine. I'll make sure that you have a great uh, abundance uh, in harvest time. In Luke 6, 38, it says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured unto you again. And there's the idea of the old bushel basket and God filling it up. And, and as you give and as you're faithful, then he'll continue to give. And you can shake it and, and it'll take up all the spaces and settle down. And he'll fill it up some more. And, and you'll push it down and he'll fill it up some more. And it'll run over. He'll pile it up and it'll be running over. That's the way God wants to bless you. But with the same measure that you use, then that's what God will use. So if we use, someone said, if we use a big shovel, God will bless us with a shovel. If we use a little teaspoon, God will bless us with a teaspoon. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It doesn't say he'll supply all your wants. It says he'll supply all your needs. And along with that, we have found he's given us a lot of our wants because we have a lot of things that we don't technically need, but God's just good. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. How many know the name R.G. Letourneau? A few of you? Again, from that greatest generation. But listen to this. A little boy was born to the home of R.G. Letourneau and his young wife. They loved their firstborn son, dreamed about his future. Then one day when he was three and a half months old, the unthinkable happened. He became seriously ill and he passed away. I don't know if any of you have ever had to go through something like that. One of the saddest ministry days of my life was when a young family in my other church, had a beautiful little baby boy, beautiful little baby boy, and I think he was six or seven, eight months old, and the babysitter called frantically because the baby had died of SIDS. And I had to go tell the husband, he was at work, I had to go tell him that his little baby boy, perfect, beautiful little baby boy, had passed away. Took him to the hospital where we met his wife in the parking lot, had to tell her what had happened. We went in there, that room, that hospital, surgical room, cold, sterile place, and there was the most beautiful little baby boy wrapped in a blanket, but he was not breathing. I can't imagine how someone goes through that. R.G. Letourneau was crushed with sorrow, but instead of becoming bitter against God, the story goes, he spent much time in prayer. Looking up to God, he cried out in grief, Oh God, are you trying to tell me something through this experience? The Lord, through this experience, revealed to R.G. Letourneau that he had been too concerned about earthly things. Too little attention had been given to heavenly things. 
The result was a deeper love for the Lord and more complete devotion. Letourneau began to tithe, and God blessed, con continued to bless his life in a remarkable way. He became one of the world's greatest inventors and manufacturers of heavy earth-moving equipment. His business continued to grow, and he started giving 20% of his income. Still, his business grew, and he prospered, so he, gave it, he increased it to 30%, then to 40, 50, 60, 70, and 80. And still, his business continued to grow in such a fantastic way, he began to give 90% of his income to Christ. He did this until his death many years later. His liberality became one of the world's finest examples of a Christian's faithfulness in tithing. R.G. Letourneau was once asked how he could continue to prosper by giving God so much of his income. And he replied, God shovels in and I shovel out. And God has a much bigger shovel. I want to clarify something. I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not one of those guys that says, you know, if, if, you, if you give, God will make you rich. I'm convinced, some, hey, the, the, we don't even know her name, but some lady in the Bible gave two mites, and we remember that to this day because she gave all that she had. She gave 100% of what she had. I don't, I'm not making any claims that you'll become rich. I'm not saying that if you start tithing, you'll become the next J.C. Penney or the next R.G. Letourneau. I, I don't say he'll even make you rich in earthly goods. I do say he will bless you more with the 90% you have left when you're faithful to God with the 10% than you could do on your own with 100% without God's blessings. It is absolutely time to partner with God. Now, again, I don't even know where this church stands on this. I, for you who are visitors, I've been here about a, six, about a year now as the, as the pastor, uh, official pastor. I may get run out of town after this message. I don't know. I haven't preached on money for a whole year. So, again, you're just blessed that you got here this Sunday. I'm preaching on it. But I'm not telling you that to make the church rich. The fact of the matter is church is in good shape. You know what I'm doing? I'm telling you what you need to know to have blessings of God in your lives, in your families. I believe this with all my heart. Again, not that he'll make you rich in material things. He will make you rich in spiritual things, which are far more valuable than material things. It is time to partner with God. It's a matter of lordship. He's either your Lord or he's not. You either do what he says or you don't. And that's up to you. He will not twist your arm. He will not force you. But if you want God's blessings in your life, this is one of the things that you need to do. Now, here's, here's, okay, I didn't know if I was going to do this or not, but I am now. I got it on the slide. I didn't know if I was going to use this. I'm going to make an offer to it. Hey, does Malachi chapter 3 say to prove God or not? Huh? Yes? How many think it says that? Okay, I read a few minutes ago. How many don't think it says that? How many don't have a clue? How many don't care? Okay, all right. Look at Here's the thing. Here's the thing. At the end of this month, we're going to have a commitment day. And if you have never tithed, I want to challenge you. I want you to prove God. We will give you, <laughs> are you ready for this, Rachel? A 90-day money-back guarantee. If you tithe for 90 days and you come to us at the end of those 90 days and say, you know what, God didn't bless me, it didn't work out, We'll give you a refund. We'll give. How many have ever heard of that before? Okay, a couple of you. Okay. Uh, we did this at the other church. And, and you know what? In all those years, I had one person, one guy who came in 
Everybody else, you know, it works, preacher. It works. You're right. It works. God's word is right. I had one person come in. He sat down. He said, I, I don't know. He said, I need to get a refund on our tithe. <laughs> I said, what happened? I said, well, I said, what, what didn't work about it? He said, well, I don't know about that. My wife just told me to come get the money back. That's all. <laughs> so if you don't tithe and you will commit at the end of the month for 90 days to tithe, at the end of that nine days, if you say to me, preacher, it didn't work, I just didn't see the blessings of God in my life, we'll give you a refund on it. But if it works, you'll get the blessings of God in your life, and you will be amazed, and it will increase your faith. When we graduated from Bible college, I told you we had, we had a, a savings account. It wasn't a big savings account. It was a little savings account, but we, had, we were positive cash flow anyhow. We went to a church uh, where I became the youth pastor, the bus director, the printer, the janitor. What else was it? Uh, associate. So I was, and she became the full-time secretary. We both worked, worked full-time at this church in Taylorville, Illinois, and our total paycheck for both of us was $100 a week. $100 a week. Now, even in 1970, that wasn't very much money. I'm thinking we made it. I'm thinking we did, because here we are. I haven't starved. <laughs> I was going to say, and I'm not wealthy, but in many ways I am wealthy, because the blessings of God have been incredible. This is part of lordship. He's either Lord or he's not. It's your decision. I'm not going to twist your arm. But you want the blessings of God in your life, you learn to tithe and put God first in your finances. He will bless you. Would you bow your heads, please?